This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. A couple of armchair GMs who have yet to be wrong with any of their Timberwolves takes. <laughs> right. It's Flagrant Howls with Phil Mackey and Kyle Tyke. This is a Timberwolves lifestyle show for all of those of you uh, who partake in the Timberwolves lifestyle. Phil Mackey, Kyle Tyke, former head of Canis Hoopus. I'm part of the Mackey and Judd Show and Purple Daily. And uh, a lot of things to cover here, Kyle, in the last week. I feel like this is kind of the dead... Once you trade for Rudy Gobert, and finish out Summer League. It's like, okay, now we're hitting the doldrums. But the Wolves did do some things, and some publications came out with some interesting things about the Wolves over the last week. I know I got nervous after the Gobert trade, because I was like, what are we going to talk about now for what? the next three months? And now it's just like, oh, we got some over-unders, we got some more signings, people are mad. Like, great time to talk about the Timberwolves. Yeah. Okay, before we get into uh, three of the bigger headlines over the last week, what is the favorite thing you've discovered from your childhood room that you are podcasting Dude. from right, right now? <laughs> I am, uh, I'm coming to you live from uh, Phil Jackson's old stomping grounds, uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. He played <laughs> at the University of North Dakota. I'm in my childhood bedroom. Hasn't changed since I was 17. Uh, I have like a lot of Ricky Rubio stuff. Oh, it's man. Is there a, so a, there a bobblehead in there? It looks like multiple bobbleheads. Bobble signed Rubio thing, a couple Garnett stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. My mom is just going to keep it until she hopes I move back one day, even though I'm a 33-year-old adult. So, yeah, the Rubio stuff is nice. It's giving good vibes, kind of, you know, changed my face, put me in a good mood. Yeah, uh, Alexi Shved style. You know, actually, one of the when I think back to my childhood room, and, and my stepdad still lives on the, the hobby farm that I mostly grew okay. up, like at age yeah. eight going forward. And I remember, because I first really got hooked on the Wolves first or second year of Kevin Garnett and then Stefan Marbury. So this would have been like 95, 96, 97. And, and I have my little like KG jersey and posters and stuff and my little Nerf basket and I would play little basketball games. But I remember very distinctly listening to Gus Johnson do a package of play-by-play oh. games in the mid-90s. Oh. And we could maybe hit on this in the episode today too. Charlie Walters from the Pioneer Press floated. Let's hit this right now. Yep. Uh, Gus Johnson as a name floated by Charlie Walters, who's for the younger audience, you know, Charlie's been retired as a regular columnist for a while, but he still floats out like once or twice a week, these little insider Minnesota sports scoops articles. And I don't think he's just pulling it out of thin air, but I would love to see a Gus Johnson return. I don't think you get rid of Dave Benz, who's just rock solid at his job, yep. unless yep. you're going national profile guy. There was a time where Gus Johnson and Kevin Harlan were calling Wolves games in the mid to late 90s. So that, that's just big game hunting again, right? Tim Connolly, Rudy Gobert, Gus Johnson. Um, you're going to have to pay him a lot because I'm pretty sure he's got a good gig with Fox, right? Like, so he's he doing call? Fox. Isn't he also doing, I think he's, he might be doing basketball for someone too still. He's doing yeah, college but, basketball games, I think still. But he that would be, that would be a, a big get when they, I think, you know, Dave Benz, I think was just his contract ended. So he was kind of just, not renewed rather than let go is how I understood it. But um, mm-hmm. I knew that they want to go, you know, they wanted to go big game hunting. I thought they were going to maybe go the uh, with a female analyst. That job is really hard, by the way. Like 
Jim Pete's great at his stuff, but you got to, I mean, you know, this doing what you do, like you got to steer the ship a little bit. Right. And get all the ad reads in and stuff and have like basketball knowledge and just a good overall personality. So he would be great. I was thinking about Gus Johnson calling like an ant step back three to win a game. Gus would lose his mind. The Gus gasms would be countless this season. Overdosing on just energy. So I don't know. We'll see if it happens. Charlie, uh, Charlie Walters, he's like just really plugged in. So when he says stuff like that, it's like, yeah, like it's you definitely know that they're sn- or kicking the kicking it around. But um, they have a big big hole to fill because Dave Ben's, like you said, was rock solid and really good at his job. Yeah, I think it was in the little little birdie told me section of his, oh, of his yeah, little yeah. insider column. So okay. oh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But all right, let's get into a few of the the bigger headlines over the last week. And by the way, thanks to everyone who has left a five star review. And yes. uh, or a five star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts, and you can give us five stars on Spotify as well. And if you could uh, subscribe to the Score North YouTube channel, then we'll we'll deliver you these Wolves takes on a regular basis here on Flagrant Howls. So Points Bet has the over. I think this is the first sports book that has set over unders yep. for the majority of teams. Like the Nets are off the board. There's a few teams off the board still, but they've got the Timberwolves at forty nine and a half. As I'm staring at this right now which is tied with the Heat at 49.5, and and behind only the Grizzlies, Sixers, Warriors, Nuggets, who are all 50.5, the Bucks at 51.5, the Suns and the Clippers both at 52.5, and and then the Celtics are way up there at 55.5 for an over-under here. Uh, The Mavericks are beneath the Wolves at 47.5, Pelicans are at 44.5, just going through the Western Conference, Blazers at 40.5, Lakers off the board right now. So I guess my question to you, Kyle, is, are the Wolves a 50-win team now, sort of ironclad? You know, barring a rash of injuries, are they a 50-win team now? So they, this will be their 34th season. Do you know how many times in those first 33 they won 50 games? Let me try and nail this here. So 03-04, they won whatever it was, 58 or something. Is it 58? Yep, that's correct. Wow. Um. I think the year be- I think the year before that they won was it 50 on the nose 51 and 31 51 and 31 There was there was like the first year they made the playoff they were like a, they were like 40 40 or 41 or something I think it's 3 or 4 I'm going to say I'll say they've won 50 games four times That is correct so four in, times uh that uh, 1999 2000 50 32 then 0102 50 32 Fifty-one, thirty-one, the following year, and then fifty-eight, twenty-four, and then that's it. So okay, four now times, do the, now do the Spurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So four times in the in the thirty-three seasons they've been around, they've hit fifty. So Dude. you would think the answer is just to take that under. But looking at those other teams, and we'll get into this as training camp start and we get to the season. I would hammer the over. Like I, I want to know your opinion too. But I would hammer the over, not because just I'm. Um, bullish on the team but i think you're going to see so many teams running oklahoma city thunder lineups come february and march as they all tank i mean this is a really good draft class not just the french kid but i think there's these twin brothers like the thompson kids in the g league the thompson Um, twins they're back thompson twins yeah so there there's a lot of talent so you're going to see eight nine ten teams just completely throw it the last eight weeks and those are just easy wins so i also think too like with a guy like gobert you know, it's any sport. Defense travels, defense carries, home and home and away. So I think they'll just not have those weird losses to the Thunder or the Kings in mid March. I think they'll just 
at worst case scenario, they'll play good defense. They'll, you know, they'll rebound and they'll just beat up on all these bad teams. But I would, I would say 50 and 32 is not that great. 32 losses is still a lot of losses for a team that has as much talent as them. So I would say yeah. over, I would say probably, like you said, 54 and what is that? 28. That would seem like a good number. Yeah. And it would only be, you know, 50 wins would, would be a great landmark. As you said, it'd be the fifth time in franchise history. It would also only be four more wins than last year, but yeah, I yeah. think part of the discussion with the organization had to have been, all right, let's look at the Western conference here for a second. Okay, yeah, the Jazz might be getting worse because they're trying to. Tr- this is before you know, I'm thinking like a month ago. Yeah, because yeah. they're trying to. Uh, we know they're trying to offload Gobert behind the scenes and and maybe Donovan Mitchell, but all these teams are going to get better. The Pelicans are going to get Zion back, and the Lakers are going to be somewhat more prideful and maybe better by just being healthier. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen there, but like, there's going to be ten decently viable teams in the Western Conference. So how can we avoid going backwards? But um. Last year's over under, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was like 34 and a half. And they crushed and, it. And that was one of those rare first guess. When that number came out, my first instinct was, well, wait a second. They played 500 basketball down the stretch for a couple months under Chris Finch or like a month yeah. and a half. And that was just like on the fly without an offseason of system installation or anything. And Anthony Edwards is going to get better. So that was kind of kind of a laughable number last year. This one seems a lot tighter, just a lot more realistic. Where if some if if a key player misses twenty or thirty games, you could easily go under. But I think Rudy Gobert again, if he plays sixty five plus games, I think he is he's a he's a fifty win team centerpiece on defense. So yep. I I hit the over on this, but I don't I don't mash it like I would have mashed the thirty four and a half over last year. I guess. Well, and I think you said did you say it's at forty nine and a half? I think it came out at 48 and a half so it's so already it, up it's already i actually up. think it's probably gonna get to 50 and a half i mean because they do though they move those things all summer so i mean that's look out celtics right there, man celtics value. objects in your mirror <laughs> but i mean again like if the, you and i will crush them if they don't like it seems like such a high number because like you said four times in 33 years but i mean man if they go 45 and what i don't know however many losses like that's really not good and i do think we look at like you said all the teams that are getting better but i kind of look at all the teams that are going to be really really bad like if the jazz do move donovan mitchell in the next couple weeks like they're going to be horrendous and you play them you know three or four times you play the thunder three or four times um you're going to beat up on these teams like them in indiana that are kind of shuffling the deck for their own rebuild so yeah maybe not hammer it but over 50 and 32 is like the absolute benchmark you have to by the way it's that amount I think our next spinoff podcast here, uh, Flagrant Howls, is just you and I doing a podcast where we try to do math on the records. Like, okay, so so uh, f- if they win 48, then it I would know, be, I gotta hold get on, Excel how many? Open. It, <laughs> well, I still think yeah. about that was football, too, right? Like, I'm always like, yeah, you know, the Vikings will go 10 and 6, and it's like that extra game throws me for a loop. So if yeah. they just, Wait, no, they'll go 10 and 14. or No, wait, shoot. <laughs> they got to cut it to 80 games, so it's just an easy number, but no. Hammer the over if it and again if you understand any betting stuff like if it was at forty eight and a half and they moved to forty nine and a half like there's good value there so lock it in early if you like it or if you don't like it wait because I do think it'll probably get up to fifty and a half. Well, before we get to the Austin Rivers thing here, I want I want to throw one of my one of my takes at you that I um, that I floated to Judd and Declan on Maggie and Judd this week because I think so many people are we're so caught up in the well they just. 
this is the bullet that they fired. It's the it's Rudy Gobert. This is it. Now you know you have no more trade capital. It's harder to trade draft picks, obviously, because you've you you have to have one in back to back years and Gobert's contract. And boy, if it doesn't work, whatever that means, and we can decide. If, right. You know, to me, if it doesn't work, I think if they get to the playoffs and they win an average of fifty games these next four years, like it worked. It's great. Yeah, they were one hundred percent. They were relevant, and it'll be the second most relevant period in Wolves history. But people are ignoring the second window, which starts after the Gobert contract runs out. And it's the Anthony Edwards emerging into his prime window. And we touched a little bit on this last week, but people need to look beyond the four years here. You've, you've got this blossoming superstar player. He's going to be 25 years old because I think he turns 21 like next week or like the first week in yep. August. Yep. He's going to be 25 years old emerging into his basketball prime when the Gobert contract runs out. So if if nothing else, if if the Gobert contract just makes you a good playoff team that's relevant, maybe you do get bounced in the second round every year. But you wound up with X amount more playoff games and experience, and you got to sort of harden, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards' playoff shell over those four years. It's worth it to me. I don't know. Like people are just kind of ignoring. Well, it's four years, and then it's over, and then like now you're. You've mortgaged the future and you're screwed. Like, no, Anthony Edwards is here in four years with like three years left on a max contract. Am I wrong on this? No, because he's going to be Jason Tatum's age at that time, right? Like when the Gobert deal is done, he'll be 25. Jason Tatum has aged slower than any other player ever. Like, how is he still 24? He's been in the league for like a decade. But yeah, he's going to be, like you said, 23 going 24. And I I, I do think back, like this happens in all sports, but like you don't want Ant to just be on... 30 and 52 teams for the next four years, right? Like he'll still sign the rookie extension. But if you think that he is this once in a generation, like lucky charm that the Timberwolves kind of fell backwards into, um, you want him to learn and play in as many meaningful games as possible moving forward. Because if they're going to win a title, it's going to be with him as the best player, right? Like it's, I don't mm-hmm. even think that's like really, I think this window, they're going to be really, really good. But I think if they're going to win a title, he has to be the best player. And you want him to get all those meaningful reps, right? You don't want him to be like in Cancun in mid-April. You want him to be in Boston or in New York in early June. So, I, th- I yeah, I, I, I don't understand any of it. I don't understand how like they invested in Gobert and people just think like they have no options. Like you, if it like you said, if it goes south, you flip flip a guy and then you retool. But I just wouldn't you just rather have the players? Like that's like been my whole thing these yes. last three weeks. Wouldn't you just rather have? the eighth best starting lineup, according to Bleacher Report, than like the 19th best starting lineup. Yeah, so. and then figure out the imperfections, you know, and, and think right. about, and this probably apples to oranges comparisons here, but when you get a good young star player, you get a Dwayne Wade in the early mm-hmm. 2000s or something, your goal now is for the next 10 to 15 years, and there might be different iterations of this, your goal is to put as much talent around that good young superstar player as you possibly can. So yep. I'll, I'll keep going down the Dwayne Wade pathway here. So you draft Dwayne Wade. Oh, my gosh, look at this guy. He's a special talent. It's amazing. Okay, let's trade for Shaq here and just bring Shaq in for a while, and it's a perfect pairing. Okay, he ages out. Take your lumps for a couple years. Okay, now let's go. Uh, we'll do the LeBron James and Chris Bosh thing over here. And then after that, it was go bring – I think they brought in Drogic or whatever. Like, you're, you're just – even if it's not perfect, and by the, the by the way, the Wolves don't exactly get to choose between, here are five flawless options, pick your option, right? Like the Lakers right. have at times over the years. An option presented itself, maybe it isn't perfect, or maybe they have to work out 
some you know defensive issues with him and Towns, but like the the main objective should be just put as much talent around both Cat and Anthony Edwards as possible. And I would rather take my chances on an already established Hall of Fame bound player than another lottery ticket that may not even pan out. And if they do, it's not for four more years, you know, a draft pick. And I think some of the backlash, too, other than the price, was how Gobert's 30. I mean, he just turned 30, but he is 30, right? But again, if you just, you literally blew out a side of your house and added a window, and now you have this kind of contention window. But then four years from now, when, yeah, Gobert's off the books, and maybe he resigns under, you know, a two year deal, he's just kind of like the Dikembe Matumbo phase of his career when he's old and just kind of stands in front of the rim. But then Carl will be 30. And Carl's going to age, his game's going to age in a way that he's still going to be productive at 30. And mm-hmm. then you just kind of move. And I mean, I, I think I tweeted something the other day, but like you still have Jalen Noel, who's 23 right now. Jaden's 21. Wendell Moore's 20. Josh Minot, who just signed, is 19. Like the kid from Italy's 19. So it's not like all of a sudden it's this all-in move for the next four years. And then we go back to this rebuild. It's like, actually, we're just going to have this all-in move. And then we're going to have this brand new window. So I, yes. I agree with you. To your question, you have this, a bunch of young talent now. I think they did really well with the draft. Um, Like I said, Minot is going to be awesome and they kind of showed that by the contract they gave them so a bunch of young guys to pair with the proven established guys and now you go see on what you can do now and then you just parlay it into hopefully four more years of success success uh next headline here from the last week so austin rivers is about to join his seventh nba team in i guess about 10 years or so uh, he did. He did spend three full years with the Clippers, and he's just bounced around all over the place. Uh, New Orleans, the Rockets, the Nuggets, uh, the Wizards for a minute, I believe, and the Knicks. So Austin Rivers comes in here, which gives the Wolves, as of right now, it gives the Wolves uh, a bench of Kyle Anderson, Torian Prince, Austin Rivers, J Mac, Jalen Noel, Nas Reed. Bryn Forbes, Wendell Moore, and Josh Minot. How do you feel about that? I think I think my first thought on the Austin Rivers thing is that, like, I think if you're not familiar with him as a person or a player, like, he's not necessarily the guy that was drafted by the Pelicans. Because he did come in with, like, a silver spoon. You know, he's Doc's kid. He played at Duke. He thought he was going to, like, he probably thought he was the best player in that draft. But I don't know. I, 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 there was a really good Rosillo, Ryan Rosillo pod that Austin Rivers did earlier this year. And he like talks about like finding himself and becoming like a role player and being a veteran and a leader. So I kind of like it. I know the fear is, is that he's going to go on the court and think he's the best player on the team. Right. And he's going to go heavy ISO and take the ball away from ant. But I, I think I, anytime you sign a guy for a one-year deal, how can it be that bad? He gave them a lot of good minutes in Denver. I think he played like 60 games. I don't mm-hmm. see how he's going to play 60 games here. I mean, we could go into a rotation thing quick, but like, I don't know where his minutes are going to come because if Chris Finch three weeks ago randomly surprised us by saying Jalen Noel's name, like Jalen Noel's minutes are going to be eaten by Austin Rivers if Austin Rivers plays 60 games. Yeah. So I still like the signing because it's a veteran. I think he can do some stuff. Um, but I, I also think he's going to catch a lot of DNPs because I don't know where he's going to fit into a nine-man rotation. And that's that's a question I have is how is how are DMPs going to sit with Austin Rivers? Is there any chance yeah, that this could kind of yeah. blow up in their face? And because you see, he, he, I think he has a higher opinion. I'm by the way, I'm I'm okay with the signing. I think just bringing yeah. in good players who are accepting of like Torian Prince is accepting that he is a role player. 
And Austin mm-hmm. Rivers is largely accepting of the fact that he's a role player. And so I'm I'm good with this. But I was kind of wondering the same thing you were, which is this should all start with Jalen Noel deserves 20 to 25 minutes un- unless yeah. he plays himself out of those minutes. And then, OK, you go back to being a bench player, like riding the bench, actually. Uh, so I, I think you've kept a sort of start with giving the guys like Jalen Noel a chance to thrive because he has a lot more upside than Austin Rivers. But at the same time, Austin Rivers is used to getting 15, 20, 23 minutes a night on almost every team he's played for. So th- there will be an interesting, tricky minutes dance here. Well, and I was, Dane Moore touched on this too, but there's just a lot of Dell Demps happening for the Timberwolves all of a sudden. Like Dell Demps is like, was on Utah's bench last year and they bring in Gobert. Dell Demps drafted Austin Rivers and now he's on the team. Like there's just a lot of those little connections. So maybe going back to how is a week straight of DMPs going to sit with Austin Rivers, who's, Again, when you're on a one-year deal, you're also fighting for your life. Yeah. And you want to put, you know, something on tape so that you get another deal. So it's going to be interesting. I I think he has matured. Maybe he just sold me a bill of goods doing a couple media tours. But um, I think he'll be a fiery veteran to have in there. Like I said, he also can get to the rim, which is like low-key, something the Wolves don't have a lot of guys that can do. Um, But, I mean, they can give him spot minutes. But, yeah, the one concern I have, and I'm an Austin Rivers guy, was that as soon as I saw the transaction come across, I was like, yeah, how does that affect Jalen? Because you've made a point to be like Jalen's a foundational piece. I'm sure they're going to try to work out some extensions. So you can't have him eat into those minutes because Jalen should probably be your sixth man moving forward. Like you said, 22 minutes a night, unless he's giving you just terrible things on defense. Yeah, you know, I was just looking up here because I, I do remember early in his career, he was definitely a like crash the rim guy on, on offense. Just get to the rim as much. You know, he was getting to the yeah. rim his first second year in the league at a 40 percent of his shot attempts were at the rim. And then another 30% were inside 10 feet. So just like in 2013, 14, do some quick math here. Uh, like 70% of his total shot attempts were inside 10 feet. So he was, okay. that was, okay. that was 2013, That number has dipped from 70% to 30% last year. And maybe it's because he's tw- he's 29 and not 21, and maybe he's just not getting to the rim as much. It looks like he's fallen a lot more in love with taking threes as a huge chunk of his shot repertoire. And he's not a great three-point shooter. So I, I would be curious to see, do they try to revert back to something else offensively, or th- did they bring him in here to just sort of be a slightly below-average three-point shooter who chucks seven times a game? You know? And it's oh. hard, It's hard, right, like in middle of July – to start like planning out rotations. Like you're going to yeah. have guys get hurt, right? Like you're just, D'Angelo Russell is going to probably miss 10, 15 games. And like you do, if he's out, regardless of what you think of him, you're all of a sudden very concerned because it can't just be the Jordan McLaughlin show. So maybe Austin Rivers gives you some spot minutes. I did just see on basketball reference that his nickname is sub zero. So that automatically, <laughs> like I'm actually might flip my take on the fly here. I'm concerned about that, but no, I mean, if he doesn't, I'm more concerned, like you said, in the locker room. I think he can still play basketball, but what's he going to be like in the locker room? Is he going to be okay just sitting next to Ant and kind of telling him some things, but yeah. like I said, not playing for 10 straight days? Um, but I, but I, I do lean towards I'd rather just have depth than not have depth, right? Because you're going to have a bunch of guys have to spot start over, over the 82-game season. Yeah, and it is worth, you know, now that Pat Bev is not in this locker room anymore, and Gobert brings a lot of playoff experience, but you take Pat Bev's playoff experience out, sort of swapping in with Gobert's, at least Austin Rivers brings 60 games of playoff experience, too, with Clippers, Rockets, and uh, and Nuggets the last couple seasons. So he's, for, for whatever that's worth, maybe there is a leadership component here that 
is going to be really helpful. Um, another headline from the last week here. Your thoughts on Josh Minot getting a four-year, just under $7 million contract here as a as a second-round pick. Kind of a calculated bet here. I was so happy for him. Like he he, We talked about this last time, but he was such a good interview in Vegas, and we got to talk to him a couple of times. He clearly displayed that he is there weren't 43 players better than him in the draft. Um, we kind of talked about how he got to Memphis and maybe that's why his stock kind of deflated because he was a highly rated high school kid. So I think, you know, whoever was in charge of that negotiation, if it was a Sasha Gupta, a Gupta special, whatever, like they got him on such a good deal. He makes more money as a second rounder than most of those guys do, but it's also as you know, team friendly. I think year three and four of the deal aren't guaranteed. So they have a good young player who I just said was 19 locked up for four years. And when you're paying your, your two centers, a hundred million dollars next year or in two years, you need to have guys making 1.1 million that could maybe give yes. you 12 to 15 minutes a year from now. I still think he's a big project, but he is going to replace Josh Okogi. He's going to be energy. He's athletic. He's long. Um, he'll probably sniff Des Moines a couple times just to get some reps with Iowa. But I was happy for him because I think, I just think he's the best player they drafted. I do think he's going to probably have a higher ceiling than Wendell Moore. Um, but I just, I like prospecty guys. I like the long rangey guys that you can kind of tween and teach some stuff. Yeah. I just, I'm probably putting you on the spot here, but if mine, it pans out to, you know, the, the 90th percentile version of whatever he can be. Is there a comp in the NBA right now that you look at and say, he could be this guy in six years from now? Oh man. Um, yeah, every time I see someone like him, I think like Paul George because Paul George is just one of my favorite players, just in terms of like what he can do. But to be Paul George, you have to be able to like dribble, and I haven't seen enough of his handle to kind of put him in that realm. But I mean, I I also just think on a local level, if he can just be another Jaden McDaniel's, right? Like if he can just give you, if you can a year from now have where you put Jaden and Josh out there on the wings and maybe Ants the lead ball handler, and then you got Carl and Gobert, like. That's a lot of offense. That's a ton of length. That's a lot of like, you know, creation and, and shot making. Cause I thought Josh's shot looked better in Vegas than it ever did in Memphis. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would hope he becomes like a very watered down Paul George. He'll never have the ceiling, but, um, just a wing creator, right. That can kind of Josh also displayed some, like he had some nifty passes in Vegas. I was like, you didn't do any of that stuff in college. So maybe he's got a bunch of bet or tricks in his bag that we don't know about, but. I hate comps, by the way. It's like I'm. You did put me on spot. I have no idea, but Paul George just always comes to mind. Do you have one better than that? Uh, I don't. That I think comps. I think comps are hilarious because, like, I I I actually love comps in that it's just it's just interesting fodder to just like it's it's a totally made up thing, and then you can either strongly agree with the made up thing or you can get mad and argue and fight. And I I think we talked about this on the first episode we did a few weeks back, but one of the uh, the comps for Wendell Moore was 90s Ron Harper that I saw on one of the draft <laughs> scouting websites. And uh, maybe you and I didn't talk about this, but it was like, you know, Ron, Ron Harper, who came into the league as a shooting guard in the late 80s. And it was like, you know, six foot five, could handle the ball. And then, and then once he got to the Bulls, and then I think he played maybe with Portland or San Antonio or something. But he, he then became a six foot five big bodied point guard who could play defense and shoot some threes and distribute stuff. I'm like, yeah, wow. Yeah, if the Wolves just drafted like a, you know, a 2022 version of Ron Harper, that'd be awesome. So now I'm just now I'm running him unfairly through that prism of a really good 
That's <laughs> floor general from the nineties. So it's, he that's didn't ask a, for that comparison, but here we are. <laughs> that's such a next level thing too. Is like I think of comps as like modern day comps, but when you start throwing out like nineteen eighty four version of this player, it's like whole. That's like such a deep dive. I did. I remember the ringer did compare him to like Darius Baisley or like a John Collins. I okay. saw nothing of John Collins in his game. At least I didn't in Vegas. But I like I said, I I think he could handle the ball a little better. Uh, he did have like a step back three in his first game. So, and he talked about how a lot of the stuff he did in Vegas, he wasn't really allowed to do or didn't put on display in Memphis. So if his shot comes around, um, that would be massive. Cause I don't, I think they just drafted him as a long, tall guy who could rebound and block shots. But if he can also put the ball on the floor and hit threes, his ceiling goes, uh, then he becomes, you know, peak Ron Harper. Back oh in his man. Day. Actually, no, we should make a rule on this podcast going forward. If we're going to do player comps, they have to be yeah. at least 20 years old. Deal. It's got to be like yep. 80s, 90s, or early 2000s comps. Done. Done. Yeah, like just Eric Snow. Just like 94 <laughs> Luke Longley. Just that would yeah. be like one for Cole Aldrich. Uh, no, 1998 <laughs> Anthony Peeler. Just a brilliant spot-up shooter. More points for as many years as you go back. But no, I, I was excited for him. I think he's good. I, I didn't know if he would get a deal like that, but it shows that they believe in them, but it also shows that they won the negotiation again. Cause again, you don't actually owe them anything in year three and four. So uh, a win-win for everyone. Um, and maybe you'll see him get a couple minutes with the team. I don't see how behind Prince and Jaden and Kyle Anderson, and then your two hundred million dollar centers. But if he gets any minutes, that would be great. Cause I, I think he's a really good kid. And I think he's got a really high ceiling. Yeah. Did you see the DeMarcus Cousins video that surfaced from Las Vegas? Dude, that a was like almost in the background of that. Like Tim Connolly, was, <laughs> that was right at the Cosmo and the, the, the I think it's Baskets, or Buckets uh, podcast was, had it all stationed out all week and they were doing interviews. And I saw the video, but um, yeah, just if you didn't see it, it's Tim Connolly walking essentially behind a recording of a podcast that DeMarcus Cousins was on. And Cousins interrupts it and just yells out like, Tim, he's like, call me, call me because DeMarcus Cousins is a free agent. so um, And was in Denver last year, so they... Well, go, if you he? want to go back... Yeah, he was. He won, and he gave them some good minutes. I mean, I think he also got ejected a handful of times, because that's what he does. Um, I think maybe he's matured a little bit. I do think it would be wild to have him and Austin Rivers in the same locker room. I know Denver tried it, and it apparently worked, but um, I don't know. I mean, I know they have a roster spot, right? After they signed Josh Minot, they have one more roster spot. I don't know how DeMarcus Cousins is going to fare, like catching dnps because i think that 15 spot is not going to play but if you sign yeah. to marcus cousins you probably got to just do something with nas reed right because you're not going to have all four guys playing minutes so do they need was, another big do you think if they if they didn't if they didn't add anyone else you know six ten or taller at this point i i mean you good maybe in like december right if an injury happens knock on wood but i just go back to what we talked about the first time the gobert thing happened like Gobert Carl is just going to play all 48 minutes, like at center. Like I, I don't see a time where one of, or they're both sitting. So if you're going to have one of them out there at all times, I don't know how I think feel about cat and boogie next to each other. I don't know how I feel about Gobert and boogie. So yeah, that's where I think Nas Reed's kind of slides in pretty well along those guys. Um, or maybe Nas gives you four minutes at the center spot, but I don't really think they need, they could use a big, but not like DeMarcus Cousins. Like, I was sad that they missed on Jermichael Green, who, like, got cut by OKC and signed with Golden State. He's, like, you know, more of a traditional power forward. Um, but I also think, too, if you're going to fill that spot, it's probably a big, because I have no idea where they fit another guard on the roster. 
they have so many of them. Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably out on Boogie, but I, it would be kind of fun. It would be kind of fun. Per you know, per thirty six minutes is tough because he he can't play thirty six minutes anymore. Coming off the the ACL two three years ago, he's you know he's a he's a bench role player who plays like fifteen minutes a night on the three or four teams he's played for. But but just for fun, per thirty six minutes, he still averages twenty three points, fifteen rebounds, and five assists. So he's still like in in twelve or fifteen minutes, he's giving you sort of the same boogie line, but he just can't, he can't do it for 30, 35, 40 minutes, like 10 years ago in, uh, in Sacramento. And, and, you know, I think he's become a punch punching bag because like he does have a temper and gets kicked out a lot. But yeah, like you just said, he was really good when he was really good. Um, Like he had a couple of years where he was pretty dominant. I mean, he's a huge, there's that like viral uh, photo where cats like trying to back him down. And DeMarcus cousins is just standing there with like this straight face. Yeah. So, I mean, at worst case scenario, you sign him, you could like relive that photo in practice. But um, they should, yeah, yeah. It'd be good. I don't. I, if you're going to get another big, I'd probably want someone with younger, a little more upside, and also is okay if they like sit in Jake Layman's seat and just never get off the bench. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's. Uh, we weren't going to do this, but just for fun, I, th- I think this is going to fit here. We've been talking about how do we? You know, the show is called Flagrant Howls. How can we bring some sort of fun little you know benchmark in that has to do with flagrant fouls and so i am going to i'm going to bring this to the show this is your idea so if it fails people can blame kyle yeah. for this here uh if it train wrecks but it's called flagrant or no or or maybe we can say flagrant foul or common foul here no okay and we can we can workshop this you know we can we can tweak this as it's we go why we're working we're workshopping stuff. stuff here yeah so according to brian windhorst i'll set it up this way uh, on a recent episode of his Hoop Collective podcast, the hefty haul that Jazz executive Danny Ainge garnered for Rudy Gobert has the rest of the league, quote, bitching openly. This is from Brian Windhorst on the podcast. What he got for Gobert, which everyone in the league is bitching about, like, can you believe it? How could they possibly do that? I mean, I've talked to 10 different people who've bitched to me about that trade. Not only did they get all this stuff, four picks, three unprotected, one lightly protected, and they offloaded $140 million in salary. So how Danny Ainge has moved the game again. Um, So my question to you, Kyle, is NBA executives are bitching about the essentially the the price tag in a trade going up for other players now post-Gobert. Is their bitching a flagrant foul over the top, or is it a common foul? Does it make sense? I don't want to just start this new adventure we're coming up with and kind of toe the line. So, cause I could make a case for both, but I'm going to say flagrant only because I think there probably is a little issues you have to iron out. I don't think you want to piss off other owners. I'm not even concerned about like the front offices, but if like owners are like talking about it in their group chats about how Glenn and Mark and Alex, like you really F this all up for the rest of us. And now we have to like, purge all these assets to try to get star players you don't want to piss off those people because they're the ones at board of governor meetings that make the rules but from a front office thing it's just it's it's hysterical i love like i just i do i absolutely love it like i'm totally okay if the timberwolves who we said have won 50 games four times in 33 years aren't just the skid mark of nba franchises like if they're just the bad guy now that's awesome like just piss everyone off yeah go win a bunch of games like do what you got to do also too, like what were they supposed to do like be the houston rockets and just give up 
they're still like give up their players. Like the Harden trade looks a little better now, but at that time I was like, they just gave James Harden away to form a big three and they got nothing back. Like, do you want to be the feeder system? Do you want to be on the wrong side of the Paul Gasol to the Lakers trade? Like, so I think it's hysterical. I also think too, and I want to spin it back to you quick from like conspiracy theory, Kyle. What if Tim Connolly sensed at the same time that he was trading for Gobert that Kevin Durant had some steam to go to Phoenix? And that would have been a disaster because Phoenix would have been so good. What if Tim Connolly's like, what if we just pay a dollar twenty-five and we know we voluntarily pay a dollar twenty-five? So it does poison the market, as Windhorse said, and then nothing else can happen for a while. Like, do you think that's like a conversation that like could have come up? After a couple beers, like, what if we just get a little weird here and mess this all up for everyone? After some habanero wings, after yep, yep. go to the chandelier bar at the Cosmo and get the secret <laughs> flower drink, float some crazy. Cons- I, I I will say I fully embrace and support conspiracy theory. Kyle making appearances on this show, so this is a safe space for conspiracy theory. Good. Kyle, okay. Okay. conspiracy Kyle will be back. But again, I, I say that in jest, but it is they did do it. They did do that. They did poison the market because now people are frozen. But whether they did it or not, it's kind of awesome. And it's great when people are mad at the Timberwolves. Because Do you have – I'm going to answer your conspiracy theory question in a, with a question of my own. Do you have, like, a favorite all-encompassing player evaluation metric? Like, do you have one that – when you're trying to figure out, all right, what's – player efficiency rating or, you know, win shares per 48. Do you, are you an analytics nerd like that? A little bit. I mean, I do like wind shares. I mean, I think wind shares per 48 is a pretty good one. Um, Some people bitch about it, but when you start to rank players based on wind shares per 48, it's a pretty good ranking of the best players in the NBA. It's like Giannis and Jokic and Embiid. It probably overskews toward big men. Yeah, that's true. And you can pull close in that stuff, but I mean, I know Mark Laurie likes that stat. Um, But no, I think think wind shares per 48, and I know that Gobert is very highly up there, so I know that that was something that came into the discussions down at Mayo Square, but... uh. Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's a good one because, like you said, when you look at a historic list, you don't really see a lot of outliers up there, right? Like, you don't see yeah. a random, you know, you don't see Luke Ridnour in the top 10 of shooting guards. I think, so the reason I ask you that, and I will I will grant you that I like win shares per 48, but it does skew very heavily toward big men. There's a lot of centers. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Which that's which fair. could be one of two things. It could be that stat is is maybe, you know, putting too much value into what big men are doing. Or it could be that maybe the league is actually undervaluing and fans and media are undervaluing what a great big man can do. Um, I could see that too. Player efficiency. So, so win shares per 48. We may, we got Kyle back and we may have lost you for a second there. No, we're good. We, we got you back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, win shares per 48. Rudy Gobert was third last year behind Jokic, Giannis, just ahead of, and again, I don't think Robert Williams is the, is the fourth best player in the NBA, but. Boy, that team almost won the finals in large part because of what Robert Williams brings on the interior. Yeah. The guy's awesome. He's just he's a very unheralded player. Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler. Um, there's some there's some dudes in here that probably don't make a lot of sense. Like Dwight Powell probably shouldn't be in the top ten. So I will grant you that win shares a little bit. So let's use player efficiency rating, which weeds out some of the big man noise. Last year, Jokic and Giannis were number one and two. Embiid was third. LeBron was fourth. Kevin Durant, fifth, Trey Young, sixth, Luka Doncic, seventh, Rudy Gobert was eighth ahead of John Morant, Cat, Jimmy Butler, and DeMar DeRozan, right? So all these people that are saying, 
if the Wolves pay that for Rudy Gobert, then what's a team going to have to pay for Kevin Durant? And I am not about to suggest that, like, Gobert's legacy or that he's a better player than Kevin Durant. But Durant is, what, 30, going to be 34 years old. He misses a lot of games due to injury. He's kind of a a flaky, unreliable guy. He's literally demanding a trade after signing a long-term contract, right? There's a lot of baggage with Kevin Durant, and he's three or four years older than Rudy Gobert. So I don't know that it's true that you should have to pay more in a trade for Kevin Durant. The Timberwolves are trading, as of right now, Rudy Gobert is in his prime as one of the greatest defensive big men in the history of the NBA. It should have cost a lot to acquire him. And almost any, whether you want to use win shares or player efficiency rating, or there's a couple other ones out there too, he is one of the five or ten best, most impactful players in the NBA. It's going to cost a lot to get a player like that. I almost feel like people that think they overpaid don't put Gobert in that category of the you know five or ten best players in the NBA. The Timberwolves obviously do, or they wouldn't have paid this much for him. There's also like an NBA Twitter part of this that is like designed for some think piece down the road about how we just like use that main platform to shit on players or build players up. Right. Like I think Gobert, like you just said across all these different metrics, he's like a top 15 guy that like you said, in his prime signed for multiple years has never really been much of a locker room issue, or at least uh, not in a sense of demanding trades. Yeah. Um, and we, I mean, he con- did get, he, he gave some people COVID a couple years ago yeah, and touched a couple recorders, but yeah, we all make he mistakes. He might have licked a mic or two, but like, <laughs> I just think we're constantly trying to like, if he's a 90 out of 100, we're just trying to tear him down to bring him to like an 80. Whereas like a guy like Russell Westbrook, again, with NBA Twitter and how fans do stuff like his game has aged so poorly that he's like a 70 out, you know, like a 70 out of 100, but we just build him up because of fandom or tweets or jokes or whatever. That's like, yeah. we build him. so I guess I, what I'm trying to say is, is that, I, people just don't like Gobert. The, the, the COVID thing really hurt his kind of perception. Um, he can't do much offensively by himself in a league that still is, you know, end of game situation, ball dominant guards, you know, guys that can shoot. Um, but I just think it's more of a perception thing because you talk to, and we like I did in Vegas, or you see these people talk about it, like to Windhorse, people that actually understand the game. Alex Caruso was on Reddick, uh, JJ Reddick's podcast and was like, Anyone who understands basketball, like, understands that this is a great trade. Like, that they're going to be really, really good. So, you know, like, I think the analytics people love it. They have a lot of different metrics, whether it's the one I like, one you like, but they all find Gobert in that top 15. And it's like, yes, if you're Minnesota, too, when's the last time you saw? I mean, I'm trying to think of this. I don't know if it was Jimmy Butler, but when was the last time you saw a, you know, all NBA player get traded to a small team? It's always paying that tax. So whether they, paid a tax to poison the market and fulfill my conspiracy theory, or they just had to pay a tax because that's what you do. Cause you're yeah. not LA, you're not New York. So, but to go circle back, cause I have to throw back to you. Like, did you just start laughing when you read that about everyone being <laughs> pissed off? Yeah. I think, first of all, I do think this is, yeah, it's, it's a flagrant foul for people yeah. to be uh, league executives, to be bitching about this. You know, the, the Timberwolves, well, just to zoom it back out to 30,000 feet and get out of the analytics weeds for a second here. If I could tell you the Timberwolves, who are the highest scoring team in the NBA offensively last year. So on offense, they're probably going to get better, actually, because Ant's going to get better. Yeah. And you're swapping out Jared Vanderbilt, who wasn't doing anything meaningful offensively 
that Gobert couldn't do better, right? Like Gobert is basically a be- like just on offense alone is a is a better version of what Jared Vanderbilt was in a lot of ways. He's going to grab yeah. rebounds, keep possessions alive. Uh, he's probably going to catch more lobs and maybe clean up more points inside. So your offense didn't get worse with this. Maybe you could make a case that uh, you're leaning on some different guys off the bench, but your offense probably stays the same. And you just created a ready-made top 10 defense by adding yep. this guy. So that's kind of your starting point, barring injury. And also, if I could just look at 34 years of Timberwolves basketball and say they've been relevant nationally for about six minutes in 2003-04, yep. uh, you know, when they, they, they knocked off the Kings in Game 7 and people were like, oh, the Timberwolves, okay. Yep. And then Cassell hurts himself, and that was kind of the end for it. So they just they just became relevant also as a franchise for the first time in a long time, all due respect to the Jimmy Butler run and you know the six games against Memphis. But I'm just like, the more I look at this and the more time passes in the last three weeks, I love this trade more and more every single day. I don't fear the ramifications of this trade. I'm not a doom and gloom, oh my God, what about draft picks? You still got draft picks. You can draft young players if you want to. So yeah, I just like, and if, and if it, as a sort of like you said, conspiracy, Kyle, if it, if a side effect is that it makes it harder for teams to acquire Kevin Durant, awesome. <laughs> well, good for the Timberwolves. And I, you know, I just think too, like going back to the doom or gloom thing, like, you know, if they do hit that over that we talked about at the beginning and they win 50 games, um, you're going to give up a really bad pick. And if the Jazz trade Donovan Mitchell in the next couple of months, you're probably not going to be swapping picks in 2026. So like, those are two things that all of a sudden, all those assets become less and less. But I also too, like, I, w- I would love to have Windhorst report on like how much bitching goes on with like clutch running the Lakers or PJ Tucker signing yeah. with the Sixers, like seven seconds into free agency. Right. Like yeah. one of my, one of my biggest things I enjoyed about last season was that, I, we, I, we mentioned them, the skid mark of the NBA. They've always been a punching bag. Teams, fan bases, whatever, had no idea what to do when, like, fans, Timberwolves players punched back. Like, when the punching bag started punching back, people had no idea what to do. And this is another example of, like, the punching bag was the team that went out and got the star player, and they said, you know, F it to the picks, and then said, whatever we got to do to get this guy, and they got him. There's a lot of teams that wanted Gobert. Atlanta really wanted Gobert, and the Wolves got him, so... Teams don't really know what to do when the little brother starts, you know, acting up. Um, yeah. But I love D-Lo, it. D'Lo, after that Sixers game, coming out on the post-game interview and saying, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, one of their guys thought he could uh, ease back in That'd after missing cute. a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be pretty cute if they uh, just, like, came back against us. And uh, that was a really cool moment, too. But, yeah, I just – I don't think teams, like – they never bitch about L.A. They never bitch about Brooklyn. They never bitch about the Knicks. But they bitch about the small market teams. And good for them, right? I would actually be happy if this was – the Pacers and they had done this big good small market teams are taking it, you know, taking a gamble, taking a chance. Um, and they don't really care what other people think. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a, how do you become the cool place to be when you've become this cast off over 30 years, right? How do you, it's almost like a, like, like a John Taffer, a bar rescue episode here. You know, you've had this <laughs> dingy bar for 30 years then there's never a line outside, you know, and Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez were the John Taffer that came in here and said, we're going to create a line out the door. We're going to put a, a better storefront outside and just make this a more appealing place to be. And you don't get to do that by spending 50 cents on the dollar. So, and it's everything. It's, it's overspending for Gobert. It's overspending yep. for Tim Connolly. And it might yep. even be overspending for Gus Johnson to come back or something. It's a, how do you make this a cool, appealing place to be? And 
like you said, that's how you have to do it, right? But it's like, what's what? This isn't baseball. I, I was I have a friend who's an Orioles fan, like, and they just had a high pick, and they had another high pick. Like, you don't just get to accumulate all these. You don't have a farm system because any summer now, one player just randomly gets pissed off and demands a trade. So, like, you going back to what we said at the beginning of the windows, you can't just expect Ant to get better and stay happy every year until he's twenty seven. You have to blow out a side of your house, carve out a window, and try to contend. You might give up an eighth overall pick in 2025, but if that's the price, like you said, to have three or four 50 win seasons, then you don't care what, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks GM is texting Windhorse. You just don't. Yeah. A lot of people, some Wolves fans, but also a lot of people just outside of Wolvesville who have rightfully so ragged on the Wolves for how many first round draft picks they've whiffed on over the past 25 years are now all of a sudden devastated by how many first round chances they have forfeited over the next seven years or so. Like, and I think, I think the point that you made, well, we can maybe just talk about this for a whole episode later this summer, but I've just been waiting for Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez to mess up or to like show some level of cheapness. Now, are they the ones cashing all the, or, you know, writing all the checks still? Maybe not. Maybe it is Glenn. It is going to be their asset. At they some got point, Glenn, right? they got Glenn's routing and account number and they're just yeah, going exactly. to town for the next year and a half. Yeah. So they're just doing <laughs> uncle Bernie, just having them sign stuff. But like, I, I do really think that they kind of, you know, put up or shut up. They keep putting money where their mouth is. You made a great point. Like they paid for Tim. They paid for this. They paid for this. Like they did it with the Gobert thing. They said, if you need to burn through all these assets to get your guy, Tim, go get him. And, that's cool because you do look around the league and not everyone has that and it's early, but not everyone has that symbolic, you know, cohesion with their ownership in their front office. So yes, when you, when you take again, not to go, I'm not a baseball aficionado, but when you take a bunch of swings, you're going to miss, but you really can't hit, you know, doubles and triples and home runs unless you take swings And this front office and this ownership group wants to take swings. So yeah, yeah sorry to everyone else that's pissed off. They've done, Laurie and A-Rod have done a really good job too, just sort of massaging and managing the Glenn Taylor relationship from oh, from yeah. getting a slice of the team first, right? That's the first impression they had to make going down to Mankato, or I think it was Naples was the was sort of the, the first two meetings back a year plus ago. But they, they've basically said, yeah, let's sit down. We'll have some of Becky's potato salad and lasagna <laughs> and we'll, and we'll, and we'll basically let, we'll, 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 you have Glenn let us run the team, basically. You know, they've done a great job of coming in and, you know, putting their arm around Glenn and, you know, hey, Glenn, you know, thank you so much. All, all of this is Glenn's, you know, it was Glenn's idea to go get Tim Connolly. It's like, it really wasn't. But they've done a great job managing the relationship, at least. It, isn't it kind of weird, though? Because, like, you can tell that, like, Alex and Mark are, like, definitely overemphasizing how much Glenn does. Like, anything. Those, like, at your Alex Rodriguez. Like, you hit all these home runs, like, You've won a World Series. Like, you are one of the faces of modern day baseball with what he does as an analyst. And it's like, they could be any, they could say anything to A Rod. He'd be like, yeah, but I got to give some credit to Glenn here. Like, A Rod, yeah. I love Which... your suit. He's like, yeah, but you know, Glenn's wife picked this one out. And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, so yeah. It's definitely this, I, phony. It's phony, but it's, it's also sort bad. of like what, in a roundabout way, it's sort of what great leaders do, which is you, you deflect praise and you shoulder oh, blame. Yeah. So I, I we'll think, see what happens when there's real blame because these guys have not hit a stretch where like Glenn has hit 50 stretches in 25 years where you know the franchise is in the toilet and he's getting hammered. So the, we'll see how, what happens when they hit a rough spot and these two guys are the faces of the franchise. But right now it's all about deflecting the credit, you know. And and like you said, at some point they're going to sign off on a move that they're the owners. 
So like you said, if, if it goes wrong, you can be like, yeah, you know, well, Glenn, Glenn wanted Tim to come in or Glenn w- signed yeah, off on the that guy's crazy. Deal. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I do honestly think, and they, again, it was so weird when it came out, but the whole internship program that Mark and Alex are doing, essentially learning how to be owners under Glenn, you'll hear Mark talk like, you know, on Dane's pot or just in general, it sounds like they actually really enjoy that. Like they can kind of get their feet wet as being NBA owners, which is a whole new world to essentially anyone that buys into a team. But they, you know, they have their hands held a little bit. So the inverse would be if they're just not doing anything, right? Like raising ticket prices after a playoff run, but like <laughs> yeah. cutting costs or like trading away guys to save money. So um, the telling point will be, though, I think maybe next year or the year after when this roster just gets more and more expensive, will they pay the tax? I know Chris Hine interviewed Alex Rodriguez in Vegas. Dane had Mark. They're both smart dudes that, just perfectly salsa danced around the answer, but will you actually pay the luxury tax when you have to, if your team's competitive? And that remains to be seen. I think the Warriors paid $350 million for their roster last year. I'm trying to pull this up here just for fun. Well, and and, you know, as you, as you know, the luxury tax too, it's not just paying a penalty. It's that repeater tax that really gets you, but it's also not getting the money that, these other teams are paying into the luxury tax. So yeah, if you're a tax team, you don't get that 250 million tax penalty that the Warriors paid last year. Was it 350? Yeah. Maybe maybe I was over exaggerating, but no, they I definitely think that's about right. They had uh they had is this accurate? They had a 175 million dollars in taxable salaries last year. I so they okay, so they close. were they were 40 million dollars over the luxury tax, but then and like you said, there's a repeater tax. Repeater tax, yep. Where basically hey, when every you're... dollar is like three or four dollars, and that's how you get to that one sixty, one seventy five. And again, that gets split Man. up among the other teams that aren't paying the tax. So, like, instead of gaining money, you're like essentially exerting money. So that that still remains to be seen because you added Gobert, who's on a massive, massive deal, and Ant's going to get paid soon, and Jaden, and who knows what happens with Russell. So, are you going to be willing to pay the tax like you paid the tax to get Gobert, like you paid the ownership equity? tax to get tim Connolly. um that'll be that'll be telling okay i think i found uh this is what i was looking for it's worth it because the warriors are the second most valuable franchise somehow inexplicably behind the knicks still i get that it's new york and whatnot, i have their six billion dollar <laughs> franchise in terms of valuation and i think this is right that they were a 1.9 billion dollar franchise in 2010 so in the Steph Curry yep. era, in the Warriors dynasty era, their franchise has gone from a $2 billion franchise to a $6 billion franchise. And they're like, well, maybe we'll spend an extra $100 million in luxury tax. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't yep. matter. And, and, and that's going to happen with all teams, but that's why Mark and Alex, I think, were just so smart because they got an NBA team. There's only 30 of them on a discount because by 2030, the Timberwolves will probably be worth, as in just, like, I don't know, three, four, four billion. or five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, so they're going to just make a ton of money. So you know NBA ownership is the easiest thing to make money on. So will you use that money to put it back into the team? And as of, you know, July 20th, we're a year into this, they are doing it. So kudos to them. Um, but it'll be that, that'll be the question that kind of sticks with them moving forward. Just to tie this episode full circle here before we say goodbye. So you said the Wolves in 34 years have 450 win seasons, right? 30, 33 seasons so far. 450 win seasons. Okay. Uh, some of these franchises have been around a little bit longer, but the San Antonio Spurs 
have 29 50-win seasons. The Phoenix Suns have 21 50-win really? seasons. They, they had a nice little run in the 70s. They were pretty yep. relevant in the, in the 90s, right? And then the early 2000s with those fun ball Mike D'Antoni teams. And then the Utah Jazz, 17 50-win seasons and a lot more like 45, 46, 49-win seasons too. So. Well, and, and the Wolves thing, mm. four 50-win seasons in 33 years, but they also came in a four-in-five-year span. So, yeah. you know, it's not even like it was sprinkled like every decade you and I got to celebrate one. It just like yeah. it was a little hot patch, and then it was just ice cold for as long as I've been able to drink alcohol. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's why you make the move. That's why, you, like you said, you throw yourself into the ring and see if you can sink or swim. And if you can't swim, there are probably outlets for you to kind of retool or kind of find new ways to survive because you have the players, and players are still what win, not picks. Yep. So, all right, that's a wrap on this episode of Flagrant Howls here with Phil and Kyle. And, um, yeah, if you guys have suggestions on just yeah. big picture or historical topics you want us to cover, just hit us up. We're both on Twitter. Uh, you can see Kyle's on the YouTube channel here. You can see Kyle's Twitter handle right there. Last name is spelled T-H-E-I-G-E. I'm at Phil Mackey on Twitter. And you can always hit us up uh, via email through the Score North app. There's a feedback tab at the bottom, and you can just send us emails and questions that we can that we can uh, flesh out on the show here. So, all right, dude. Enjoy your home bedroom there and the Ricky Rubio bobbleheads. <laughs> Appreciate you. I, I was going to say next week maybe I can uh, – I think I've seen the City Edition jerseys, the new Ooh. ones. And I'm just going to – I got to do some – again, I have some friends at Nike. I don't think they're great. So let oh, me do no. some work on that, and I'll report back. But um, for all the years that the Timberwolves have hit those pretty well, I don't know if they're going to hit them well this year. So uh, more to come. Oh, wow. What a tease for next week here. <laughs> Flagrant howls. We'll see you guys. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.